This is the Daily Lectionary Comments for October the 6th. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 22 to 6, 9. Following the 10 words of the 10 things, we're going to take a look at the Shema. And then Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, we see the, the friction between what was old and what is new. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22, this is right after the, the 10 words of the 10 things. 10 chief things that the people are to keep on their mind. First, we're told, uh, uh, Moses says that they were wrote, written on uh, two tablets of stone. This is verse 22. Two tablets of stone. So here's a question. Um, which of the 10 words were on the first stone? Which were, were on the second stone? Um, and you can divide them different ways, and there's different theories about this. But probably the most accurate theory, or, or at least, a good a good chance is that both tablets had all ten words on them. This is this um, the ten words are like a covenant or a contract. Uh, and when you have a contract, each party gets a copy of the contract. And so uh, it would be like two copies here: one for the people and one for the Lord. Otherwise, um, a couple of things to say about these ten words. Number one. Um, if they were divided between the two stones, some words being on the first stone, some on the second, we have no idea which were which. Furthermore, we do not have a numbering of these things. So although it says that there are 10, it never tells us which is the first, which is the second, which is the third, which is the fourth, and there are different ways of numbering them. Christians and Jews do not disagree about what the 10 words are, but they do disagree it's not an important disagreement about which one, uh, you know, is number five, for example. That's not really important. It is important within the church that we all understand what we're talking about when we say the fifth commandment or, or the fifth word. But nevertheless, uh, aside, uh, enough of, uh, of that. More importantly, Moses talks about how uh, uh, the people heard the voice. They heard the voice of God. They 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 saw the the smoke and all on the on the mountain. They heard a thundering voice from heaven. They saw no form, but they heard God's voice. See, this is unlike anything. All the other ways in which they received the word of God is God would speak to Moses. Moses would speak to the people. Moses would speak to God for the people. Moses would speak to the people for God. God spoke directly to Moses, but he didn't speak directly to the people. But he did hear. When he gave these ten words, he spoke directly to the people. And they heard it. And they were terrified. And they were so terrified that they came to Moses and they said, Look, let no more of this. This, this fire is going to consume us. We'll never survive. So... Uh, it was their recommendation that let's not have any more of this. Let God speak to you. You tell us what he said. Verse 29 is a beautiful verse. And here's where the Lord says, in response to that, he, he says, they're right. It's, it's, they're, they're correct in the way they're thinking. Verse 29, oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me and to keep my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. You know, it's, of course, we now know how the story went, that, in fact, that kind of zeal for the Lord and fear for the Lord did not continue. And, and, uh, and as a result, of course, we have the long and difficult history of Israel and the land. It did not go well for them. 
and they ended up not living as long in that land as God had intended or desired that they would have wanted. Um, but God's zeal for them is that they would have that kind of fear for him uh, and, 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 and zeal to love him and zeal to keep his commandments. And you can almost hear the sadness in God as he says, oh, if only they would keep this. Now, the third part of uh, what we're talking about today uh, is begins in chapter 6, verse 4. This is called the Shema, Shema Yisrael, that, that, that means hear, O Israel. This is um, uh, almost like a little, well, it's like a creed, actually, that, uh, that uh, Jews often recite. And it was recited in Jesus' day, too. It was, it was uh, uh, a wonderful summary. I mean, when Jesus was asked, well, what's the greatest commandment? Um, he began by saying, hear, O Israel. Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength, which is part of this Shema. The Shema actually begins, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. So God is one of a kind unique unlike any other there is no sense in which god is like the polytheistic gods of the ancient worlds representing different forces and, and and different things in nature god is wholly unique is one and only uh and from this also we get this idea of god being holy too just completely um unlike his creation so the shema begins uh in in uh uh verse 4, and goes down to verse 9. Actually, that's just the first part of the Shema. The, the Shema, as Jews would recite it, uh, is, is the, are these verses, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 in, uh, in Deuteronomy. But also there are selected verses uh, or, or a, a, a passage in, um, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning at verse 13, and also in Numbers chapter 15, beginning at verse 37. These would all be spoken together and constitute the Shema. This is the beginning of it, however. And it was a way for, for the people of Israel to remind themselves of what is absolutely most important. And just note how, how central this is. Uh, the people of God were to love God with all their heart, with all their mind, and with all their strength. This strength means all that they have. Um, uh, so not, not just their physical strength, but their financial strength, all their skills, all that they uh, possess are, are, are to be used in the service uh, of God. These things are to be taught to the children. Uh, they are to guide you uh, in all that you do. Note the reference to the hands. Uh, and all that you see, note the reference to the eyes, and in your very homes, note the reference to the doorposts. So our relationship with God is an all-encompassing thing from generation to generation in every aspect of our life involving what we have and what we think and what we feel and, and everything about us. So the Shema is a wonderful thing for a Christian to have on their heart and mind as well. Now, in our uh, our second reading from Matthew, uh, chapter um, chapter nine, we have a a series of little readings that share a certain theme, which is drawn together at the at the very end when it talks about um, uh, an unshrunk 
uh, cloth attached to an old garment or new wine poured into old wineskins. And the point that Jesus is making there is that the stuff of the kingdom of God, the stuff of the new covenant is in fact new. And it isn't necessarily going to fit in all the, the, the old forms, and all the old ways and all the old assumptions uh, that, the, that the scribes and the Pharisees and, and that the Jews had been living with. So, for example, Jesus heals a man. He says, your sins are forgiven. And he heals the man. But before he heals the man, the people there, uh, you know, still immersed in the old way, say nobody can forgive sins but God alone. And that they're right. But what's new is that God is now present in Jesus himself. So Jesus says, well, which is easier? You say nobody can forgive sins but God alone, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your mat. But that so you may believe that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, this brand new thing. He says to the man, rise, take up your pallet. Now, this demonstrates very, very quickly the relationship between, or one, an, an important relationship between miracles. Jesus' capacity to work these miraculous um, uh, things, uh, these, these wonders in front of everybody, uh, their purpose to corroborate the things that he's saying, because what he's saying is extraordinary. And nobody is going to take his word for it, no matter how brilliant he may be, no matter how expert he may be at, at interpreting the scripture. The fact of the matter is, uh, ultimately, it comes down to a question of fact, whether you are in the one who was to come. And that, you know, the only way that that is going to be settled is that God himself is going to have to demonstrate this miraculously. So we have an example of this here. Then Jesus calls Matthew, also known as Levi. He was a tax collector. The old way said that tax collectors uh, and uh, uh, were numbered uh, right along with other other uh, sinners, that is, people who just flaunted the, the law of God and couldn't care less. The problem with tax collectors is tax collectors worked for the Roman government and they worked for Gentiles. And so they were considered traitors uh, and much of what they had to do just uh, uh, put them completely outside, uh, shall we say, decent society. So Jesus uh, calls Matthew to follow him, and then he goes to Matthew's house and eats. Well, all of this is just totally outside what uh, polite company would do, and the old ways uh, just would not, could not fit that kind of a thing. And they say, well, how is it that you can eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the other uh, elders and so forth, they just couldn't fathom how, how one could square that with what they had been raised with. And, and that's when Jesus says uh, that, uh, uh, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says, go and look this up. This is in, from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire steadfast love, the kind of steadfast love that God gives us, which is often translated mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, not just the ceremonial requirements uh, of, uh, you know, offering sacrifices in the temple, but a desire a Christ or, or a God-like love for one another. And that is not the kind of love that you're extending toward um, Matthew and other tax collectors when you exclude them the way you do. So, and all of that, uh, we have sort of 
a, a, a friction between the way Jews had become accustomed to thinking and the categories that they used and this brand new thing, Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh, making all things new, but they don't go together comfortably. And that's why Jesus uses this image of new wine and an old wineskin. You just can't put them in there like that. They'll just burst. So we have to make way for new things because it's a new kingdom.